Hello everybody and welcome to Lions Watch, your one-stop shop for all things England. I'm Marcus Speller. And I'm Luke Moore. This week we're discussing Harry Maguire's importance to England after Ole Gunnar Solskjaer confirms he will not play for the rest of the domestic season. We check in on Jadon Sancho's form after he lit up the DFB Pokal final on Thursday and we're joined by journalist Alex Holliger for the inside track on the Croatia national team ahead of this summer's opening game against England. And we revisit that stunning night in Seville in 2018. was the worst performance I have ever seen from an England team, ever. We were totally hopeless for 90 minutes. It's another wretched night for England at a major tournament. And did you also miss a left-footed player down the left side? Yeah, but where is that player? How are we going to win this tournament as England? And England win on penalties! Welcome, one and all, to uh, to Lions Watch now, Luke Moore. You're looking stunning, by the way. Thank you very much. It's a big warm welcome from me too to everyone <laughs> listening. Uh, I appreciate that, Marcus. We're talking England. Yes. We bloody love England. We're talking England. We start though with some some injury news. Yeah, and which, it's Harry Maguire, which has become the custom. Yeah, being in the head of this tournament. This is this is not the time to get the injury. Sometimes when people get injured a few months before the tournament, it can work as a little rest, mm. and then they're good to the run up to the tournament. Yeah, Harry Maguire. It's it's a, it's, it's cutting injury. it very fine. It is. <laughs> It really, really is. He's, he's, he's a doubt for the Europa League final, which would be a great shame for him personally, of course, and for Manchester United. He'd love to play in that, obviously. But Maguire has played an astonishing amount of minutes for, for Manchester United. He's not missed any Premier League minutes for the club before uh, the past week, of course. Um, he's played more than Bruno Fernandes, and we know how much he loves playing football. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's well documented that he had injections for two months during his uh, uh, troubled last season. Yeah, pain the hip injury, didn't he? He did, yes, yeah. and it was uh, it was a bit of a tricky one for him. So those sort of painkilling mm. injections and and so on. Um, he's been very important for England as well. We think yeah. he'd be a starter. How worried are you that that Maguire has got this injury? Well, it's um, yeah, it's, it's it's a good opportunity to talk about Harry Maguire and what he brings to mm-hmm. the England team. I think because um, for me, he. Um, He's a player with great talent and great ability and, and is worth his position in the England team. But I think we've been perhaps a little bit negative about him in the past. Mm. Because I think a got, lot of people have. Because he's got quite obvious flaws to mm-hmm. his game as well. Now, that's not anything new. We mm-hmm. see that from a player like John Terry, who was an amazing performer for yeah, England yeah, yeah. And, and always you know did really pretty well for England, barring one occasion, uh, or two uh, occasional mishaps. I mean, like one of the finest centre-halves England have produced in recent years. Yeah, John Terry. and he had obvious flaws to his yes, game as well, absolutely. but he was able to work around them. Mm. So it's not to say it was always perfect. You know, 2010, he wasn't brilliant, but that's you know, who <laughs> was. So look, I think it's a good opportunity for us to talk about Harry Maguire and what he brings, because I think one of the things that was actually quite fascinating, and we talked about it a bit on the round yesterday, he was very noticeable by his absence mm. in the game they played against Liverpool on Thursday night. And what he brings to the table, for not just for May United, but for England as well, is he brings um, positional um, quality, he brings strength, he brings danger and solidity and set pieces, both mm-hmm. attacking and defending mm-hmm. respectively, uh, and he can carry the ball well. So um, we should probably talk a little bit more about his positive elements because we spend quite a lot of time talking about his flaws. He carries the ball out of defence pretty well. Yeah. He's a g- decent pass to the ball. I think he's actually a bit overrated about how well he can pass the ball, but what he is good at is he's good at dribbling with the ball and playing a simple pass and giving England a bit of impetus on the ball. He works very well alongside 
um, uh, John Stones, but he doesn't quite give John Stones the support and the solidity he needs that Ruben Diaz will give him. People will say, well, Ruben Diaz is one of the best defenders in the world, so that's kind of understandable. But it's who John Stones plays with. Exactly. And finally, um, before I chuck it back over to you, he has not just played a huge amount of minutes, Harry Maguire. He's, I think, played more minutes than any other player in Europe Mm. over the last 18 months or so. Mm. So... He's going to be a huge miss if we can't get him. If England can't get him fit again, and it is a concern, I would say. Yeah, well, it's less of a concern than say one or two others who have um, still got injuries. You know, obviously Henderson is, is is the obvious one there. But focusing on Maguire, you know, it needs a chance that he could play in that Europa League final if they can get him fit. And if he does play in that final when he comes through it, then you think, okay, all's fine. The question would be is if he's not deemed fit. Do you then take him? My my position on that would be yes, unless it turns out to be a particularly nasty injury or it gets aggravated or whatever. Because going into June, you've got the two friendlies early on in June, and then you're into the tournament. Yeah, those minutes that he's played, he's played an awful lot of football. Not like one or two other England players who haven't played since February or March. Yeah, Maguire's been playing quite constantly. So actually, in a sort of if I'm going to sort of squeeze this um, and and really look at this from with England spectacles on. If he gets fit or, or or indeed comes back even after that Europa League final, mm-hmm. you could say actually he's had a few weeks break. Yeah, That's how I, I would look at it. I wouldn't worry so much about, uh, 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 you know, as I would with others about, oh, is he going to be match fit? Yeah, he's, he's also, this, you've got to look at the type of injury he's got, right? So he's got an ankle, what's, what's been described mm-hmm. as an ankle ligament injury or ankle mm-hmm. ligament damage. Now, there's obviously several different grades of seriousness about how difficult ankle ligaments can be. And they, they are a problematic part of, of a footballer's anatomy because they get looser over time and they're difficult to, to manage. And eventually you have to have operations mm-hmm. if you have repetitive problems with uh, ankle ligaments. And, you know, it's less relevant to people listening. Mm. I have a problem with my left ankle ligaments, which are really loose, and mm. I should have an operation on it, but I haven't got around to mm. it. Harry Kane would be a much better example because yeah. he's actually a professional footballer, <laughs> and he has regular. But he's not a defender it. like you. No, it's, it's more true. of a straight shootout between you and McQuire. All I'm saying, um, all I'm saying, Gareth, is you know, after a player who we <laughs> plays at the back, we've got an- yeah. dodgy ankle ligaments. Uh-huh. So I'm here for you. But you can belt out the national anthem. Yeah, but it's, if it's if it's only a um, if it's only a kind of a strain or a slight strain or whatever, and they're just monitoring it and it's going to need a bit of rest, then you definitely take him. Mm. Because I think he's, he's you know, regardless of the faults he's got, which mm. I do feel almost like contractually obliged to mention every single time I say his name, he is going to start at games for England. Yeah. He'd be one of the first names on the team sheet um, at centre-back. So you, you, if you are going to get him after mm. the first game even, you think, oh, do you know what, he just needs a few more days, yeah. then you, you are going to take him. So he's definitely going to go along unless he's officially ruled out. Okay, so the bigger question then is that if he is ruled out, and he's not playing, what do you do? Is it a straight swap? Do you put in, I don't know, the names uh, that leap to mind would be Keane, even though he wasn't in the last squad, although I think he should be. Cody, perhaps. Hmm. Mings, Dyer. It does sort well, of... Well, there's the interesting question, Marcus. Or do they go back three? It, well, exactly. So it, pre- it precipitates two questions. One is, do you straight replace him? Mm-hmm. And the second one is, does it mean that they change how they play? Mm-hmm. So do they want to do um what they we've seen them do, do in the recent past where um they've played um Mings, Dyer and Walker against Belgium. Back. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But um, Stones and Maguire obviously weren't there, so. True. But that's what I'm saying. Well, Maguire yeah. may not yeah, be yeah, there. That's yeah, the discussion yeah. we're having. Yeah. So, I mean, you'd imagine that Stones would, would feature come what may. But if you look, I mean, as sad as it is for me to say this, and your eyes are going to light up when I do say this, the, the most obvious like-for-like replacement for him mm. is probably Eric Dyer. Mm. But for me, Eric Dyer is probably just a bit of a shit Harry Maguire. <laughs> so it depends whether you want to say, we're going to bring a Michael Keane in, who mm. I think has been better than Eric Dyer this season. Mm. And I think we did both agree yeah, on yeah. that. 
or whether you're going to change the, the formation entirely. And as we've discussed in recent weeks, they might change depending on who they're playing against. Mm. Well, and, and if he does go, if he did say, right, okay, Maguire's not there, hypothetically, um, let's bring in a back three. That changes the team quite a bit. It changes that midfield and it perhaps means England have one less attacking player on the pitch, which I think would be a shame. Or... Yeah, but, but it depends. The, the problem is, though, Marcus, the interpretation of what is an attacking player and what isn't is really interesting these days. Mm-hmm. Because we talked as well, didn't we, yesterday about how good Alexander-Arnold looked against um, against Manchester United, yeah. right? And he would play as a right wing-back if he plays, mm-hmm. if we play that formation. He's a much more attacking player than he's a defending player. Mm. But you don't think of him as an attacker. Well, that's true. That's very, very true. Well, we'll see then with Maguire. We, all, all our fingers and toes are crossed for him to, to make it. If, he's, if he doesn't make it, then there's um, a big question to ask there. Mm. Um, talking of attacking players, though, Jane Sancho scored a brace uh, in the, uh, the German Cup final um, this week. He has been phenomenal this this calendar year. I mean, he's been you know he's not been too shabby all season, but particularly this calendar year, his form has been unbelievable. Andy Brassel sings his praises from every rooftop he can get up to. Yeah, uh, and 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 he's been brilliant. We don't see him in, as much, of course, as some of the other contenders for those um, those attacking positions because mm. you know he plays in Germany, not in England. Um, so. We think that uh, well, we don't think we know Harry Kane will be the the starting the central striker. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, you know, unless there's injury, that will be the case. I suggest, and I we we, we said this a, a number of weeks ago on this podcast that that Phil Foden will probably be on the left. And I'd be surprised if Phil Foden doesn't start. It's that right side which I thought Raheem Sterling had nailed down. Mm. Sterling's been a stalwart for Gareth Southgate's England. And even before, mm. he's performed. He's, his performances have picked up quite a lot. I'd say in the, in the last few years, there was a bit of a barren spell. We'll talk about that in England's evolution uh, in the second half. But he's contributed a lot. Him and Kane kind of work quite well together, I would say. But you cannot ignore what Jaden Sancho's doing. And Sterling has been uh, on the bench a little bit more for Manchester City in, in recent months. Could we see Jaden Sancho start on the right for England up top? It's got a lot of options, hasn't he? Mm. Because and it's a fascinating situation because you talk about Foden playing off the left, mm-hmm. and it opens up a whole puzzle yeah. of how England approach this tournament. Because yes, Foden has has played very well and operated very well off the left. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, who's returning back to fitness and who also plays there? Jack Grealish, mm. right? Who's a different type of player to Foden, yeah. but also really good, right? Don't, don't forget Marcus Rashford as well, yeah. who has contributed in an England shirt. For Marcus, Southgate. and he will mourn him later. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, to make it even more interesting, England play against Poland mm-hmm. in March. Where does Phil Foden play? Off the right. Sterling mm. plays on the left. Mm. So it seems clear to me that Southgate knows he's got not just a lot of options, but a lot of flexibility within his within his personnel. And to answer the question specifically about Sancho, um, before I uh, sort of go back to you about what you, more about what you think about it. You know, Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher did their England squads recently, and Jaden yeah. Sancho wasn't in it. Yeah. Now that to me is insane. Yeah, I, th- I think I think you have to pick him in the squad. Um, uh, but do you not he... think it's an easy one because of the squad? I think they picked. Um, people are looking at Premier League, Premier League, and they're worried about the comments on Twitter. So okay, fine, <laughs> we'll leave the guy out. We can't, you know, out of out of sight. Well, we are mind. not. We're not worried about the, the comments on Twitter because that ship clearly sells, yeah. that ship sells for us uh, a long time ago. And we'll mm. get pelted. Obviously, you get kind of get pelted, whatever you do. But but look, I think I think he's got to be in the squad. I think I think one thing that's fascinating to me is that you sometimes see top teams playing on a number of different um, competitions. Say, for example, Premier League, Champions League, FA Cup, whatever. Mm. They'll sometimes, like Man City used to do it a bit, 
Now, sometimes when they played the three behind the one and the one was Aguero, what it seemed to me like was happening was they were picking different players for different challenges. Mm -hmm. So like, oh, do you know what? We're up against this team on Saturday and their defenders like doing this and they're playing this, so we're going to pick that player. And that's something that we sometimes don't consider as England fans. We think there's the starting 11. doesn't matter if you're playing San Marino or Brazil, that's Mm. the starting 11. Absolutely. And I I think it's fascinating. The reason I think it's fascinating is because if you were to go and take an example like England v Poland, Sterling and Foden, either side of Kane, England win 2-1. It's... Look, think about it from the opposition team's point of view. Mm. If you're up against Sterling on one side and Foden on the other, that's mm. two completely different players, right? Maybe you can switch them in you, mid-game. You switch them in mid-game, that yeah. makes it even harder. Mm-hmm. And then uh, with half an hour left, mm-hmm. you take off um, Sterling and you replace him with Grealish. Grealish yeah. And you take off Foden and you replace him with Sancho. It's, <laughs> it's, it's fascinating to see how a team will be able to deal with that. And yeah. I said to you the other week, I said, if Foden's on form... There's not many players out there who can deal with him. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about an embarrassment of riches here for the first time I can remember. So when we have these discussions, it's a bit like, well, I, I think it would be insane if Sancho wasn't in the squad based on what we saw, yeah. not just in the, oh, in the cup final, but in the game before that against Leipzig in the league as well. He'll be in the squad. I don't think it's too much about that. I think in our first uh, uh, England squad, we may have actually admitted him ourselves. I can't quite remember. But either yeah, way, That was a long time ago. It was an awful they, they long won't time remember. ago. They yeah, won't yeah, remember. Yeah, yeah, but, but Marcus, I think on form, mm. you cannot, say Sterling deserves to be in that team ahead of Sancho. Right. Over the last couple of weeks, you can't. No. And and, and if, you, if you take that as a pattern of, of form and a pattern of behaviour across the calendar year, as you've already mentioned, mm-hmm. it's incredible to witness. Oh, it's in! From Harry Maguire. He was a likely lad. Stones repairs the damage and the two centre-backs combine here. It's time for England's evolution, everybody. This week, we're returning to the road to the Nations League finals. And what a road it was in Group A4 with Croatia and Spain. Seems quite a long time ago now, this. Um, but but not in my mind. I, I, that was a... It had kind of escaped my memory a wee bit. Yeah. Well, off the back of the World Cup in Russia, we were feeling quite good about England, although such a disappointment, perhaps, with what happened against Croatia, of course. Um, Southgate said about England that they couldn't be considered among the top sides unless they started beating top sides. Two months later, after the World Cup, the all-new UEFA Nations League began. Uh, the England squad was largely the same um, as it was in the World Cup. A few new faces, most notably Joe Gomez and Luke Shaw, both played in the opening game, which ended 2-1 to Spain at Wembley. Mm-hmm. They played a 3-5-2 with Luke Shaw. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about one. No, no, no. <laughs> Just brush over that. Um, <laughs> Oh, it was just insignificant ultimately at the end. But Southgate, they still hadn't beaten a top side in a competitive match, Luke. Yeah, and it felt weird because um, the the gap between losing to Belgium in the third place playoff, and I'm sure we could do an entire podcast episode about whether that counts as a competitive game or not. <laughs> um, the gap between that, Marcus, and the game against Spain at Wembley was under two months. Mm-hmm. And it felt weird to have a competitive game again so quickly yeah. Having been so used to that two-year cycle thing, mm-hmm. so I think it took us a bit of time to get up to speed after the after the emotion we'd invested in the World Cup, and so that game doesn't really live long in my memory either. Mm. But the um, when England started to 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 move through the gears, if you like, they had a good nil nil away away against Croatia, and then obviously you want to talk about this game in Spain, mm. which which was. I'm t- I was, I've been trying all, all kind of week, really, to think of a way to ask this question to you without offending you. And that is... <laughs> you want to talk about the Spain game first, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is, do you think that 
how do you think Spain approached that game? How, what do you think Spain, having had the recent yeah. success they've had, what do they think about a game against England in the Nations League? Well, I think Spain were feeling quite good about themselves after a, quite a bruising World Cup campaign, of course. True. Luis Enrico was in. So they wanted to get back on the horse, you reckon? Well, they did. And they beat Croatia 6-0. Yeah, in that group, you can't forget that. You know, mm. the World Cup finalists. I had forgot that. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> One might have forgotten yeah. that, uh, but I certainly didn't. And of course, as you just mentioned, England went away to Croatia behind closed doors. I think it was. They drew nil nil. Perhaps should have done a little bit better. Southgate plays a four three three suddenly, and this is where you can see the, the evolution. Ben Chilwell starts at left back, mm-hmm. um, which is first up for England. Sancho gets his first minutes. Mason Mount was called up to the squad for the first time as was James Madison the, the changes are occurring now because I well, think it seems like a constant process these days yeah so I think after that Spain loss maybe Southgate thought to himself actually do you know what it's time to kind of really bring in a few new faces and, and this is I'll use this tournament to freshen it up a bit mm-hmm. uh, it's the first time we're playing in the UEFA Nations League people are not sure let's, let's have a go so they play Spain in Seville and Spain what Spain had done to England so many times in recent years is we just press them because what, what they do when we press them is if they try and play it out the back, they mess it up because mm. they're not good on the ball. Mm. Or they just lump it long, thanks very much. Mm. It works a treat. Mm. Spain do that every time to England. Mm. And it works. It didn't work this no. time. And to be uh, fair, England did lump it long quite a bit. Well, <laughs> but, but with a, with, well, it wasn't lumping it long. No, it's long passes rather than long balls. But that's fine. Yeah. It's a perfectly good tactic if it is deployed as a tactic rather than a hit and hope. Gets you up there quicker. Damn right it does. <laughs> and of course, England won 3-2. It was one of the best England displays I've ever seen, genuinely. Yeah. Well, Kane did come out afterwards and say, look, to be honest, we were just trying to get the ball as far away from our goal as possible. <laughs> they did. No, look, you're right. And, and th- it was a big milestone for Southgate. It was, it was a really big um, psychological boost to England. And, you know, the, you talk about it as one of the best ever England performances. Certainly that first half. The first it? half an hour was, they were brilliant. Yeah. I couldn't believe what I was watching. Yeah. It, was, it was absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. Up half and they kept getting undone, undone by it. Yeah. Um, uh, it's a, you know, you know, Serling's first ever England away goal, by the way, which feeds mm. back into what we're talking when about. When his perhaps. first goal for a 27 match yeah. Baron spell. Yeah. A brilliantly quick move and yes. like a great finish. And and the, the interesting thing about the finish was, I think listeners might not remember it, he puts it in the top corner as the ball comes Michael Owen against Argentina. It was a bit like that. And it didn't look like, I think the commentator might have even said it at mm. the time, it didn't look like a finish of a guy who was low on confidence <laughs> in England. <laughs> in English. Right, yeah. But the, sec- the thing was, the second goal was actually quite similar. Mm. It's obviously scored by Rashford and Kane holds it up after mm-hmm. Rashford kind of bombs forward a big like a big kick from Pickford where he sees mm-hmm. um where he sees the opportunity early. And actually this game was probably a good example of the good and the bad you get from Pickford. Yeah. Because he has a howler in that game and he gets away with it. But uh, with it should have been a penalty. He has a howler in both games actually against mm. one against one against Croatia as well and he gets away with both of them. Mm-hmm. But he's also his distribution is also decent. Especially yeah. for that first goal. The pass that he pings under pressure yeah. straight to Kane. He's magnificent. It's absolutely yeah. magnificent. Kane does a brilliant job as well. By but the way. to put this to put this victory in a bit more context, it was Spain's first home loss in a competitive fixture for 15 years. The, f- the first time in their history they conceded three or more goals at home in a competitive fixture. Yeah, that's how big a win that was. That's why I'm asking you why, how much you think Spain care about that. Well, when when you say care, of course, a proud nation like that with with those kinds. I'm not of saying they want to lose at home. I'm just saying is the intensity there. I think it was. I think because um, you saw them, you saw Sergio Ramos, you know, when, when he got a, what would be a consolation in injury time, he's like, come on. And he's trying to G the crowd up yeah. when they made it 3-1. They were pushed. They, they wanted to win that game because suddenly after a few uh, uh, fixtures of the UEFA Nations League, suddenly everyone was like, oh, what? There's, what, there's relegation if we don't, we go down to Group B mm. or we can go to this little tournament in Portugal. Mm. And it's, 
Oh, hang on a minute. It's always in Portugal, isn't it? It is, yeah. Everything's in Portugal. Yeah. Uh, And and suddenly, so I did think they care. This is not a European Championship or a World Cup. I understand that. So let's not be too silly. But it is a competitive fixture and it means more than a friendly. What it meant to me as well was it meant that, although, you know, that maybe Spain's run out of time a little bit Mm. because they scored that goal that was the last kick of the game, the Ramos or whatever it was. Um, But what it kind of meant to me is it allowed me to think that perhaps... Everything that's come before England with the emotional baggage and everything mm-hmm. hasn't isn't actually affecting this new iteration of the, t- the yeah. side. And what yeah, I yeah. mean by that is not just the historical legacy stuff, mm. but the summer which ultimately ended in disappointment. Yeah. You can say whatever you want yeah, about yeah, yeah. how great it was and how much we enjoyed sure. it and, and all the stuff that Southgate said that you reported to us a couple of weeks ago. But ultimately it ended in the disappointment. Mm-hmm. If England start a tournament like they did in 2018 and they get the run they get to the to, to potentially get to win the trophy. You have to say it's ultimately a disappointment. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean they didn't do well, but they didn't do as well as perhaps they could have done. Mm-hmm. Yet this kind of performance quite soon afterwards shows you that actually they're quite a fearless team. Yeah. And they'll play in that way. Which is why the World Cup wasn't an out and out disappointment. I think that it ended with. So one a, thing a, kind a, of informs the yeah, other. You, you, yeah, you kind of. You, you, there's a few hills that they've climbed, but they haven't climbed the mountain, if you see what I mean. Mm-hmm. And that shows in this game. Uh, and, and, and and again, you know, what was good is that England adapted to the game or, or at least had a bit of a plan. They thought, right, we know where they like to press, mm. so we'll go over the press. Mm. And that and when you have Pickford's distribution, you have Kane and the and the front two uh, the the two the two others alongside Kane in Rashford and Sterling. I mean it was glorious. Spain didn't know what to do with it. England mm. were three and up at half time. England midfield was made up of Eric Dyer, Ross Barkley, and Harry, Harry Winks that yeah. day. Yeah. Incredible how it's it funny can how change. things change. Well, not, not not only that, Mark. Speaking of how things change, I mean, we've done how many episodes of this show now? Mm. How many times have we mentioned Joe Gomez? Yeah, I mean, he's obviously going to be injured. He's been out for a long time. Exactly. It's a shame for him. He started that game. Well, he did. He was he was well in the conversation to start England games. Absolutely, when he was right. fit. Well, and interestingly, when England win that game, which seemed quite surprising, and of course they scored three, um, as opposed to Spain beating England two one. Suddenly, because it was on head to head, I think. Suddenly, it's like well, England now. If you beat Croatia, you go through to this little finals affair mm. in Portugal in the mm. summer there's suddenly a bit of expectation mm. England are at home to Wembley against Croatia we've seen them mess it up before against those boys um, yeah. And but there was a bit of a sense of occasion in the crowd the player said after the game um, that uh, that they that, 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 you know the, who was it Southgate said I think the most pleasing thing of the year has been the connection with the fans and being able to share brilliant experiences with them today was brilliant I can't remember the new Wembley like yeah. that yeah. so it showed you England again playing a 4-3-3 they were right on the front foot straight away in this game. And there was a case of, hang on a minute, we can play a bit. Mm. Let's let's go at them. Um, and the problem for England, though, is the game started to pan out. They didn't take their chances. It was almost a bit like Tunisia. Of course, Croatia are a far superior opponent than Tunisia. Well, Pickford had a gaff early on. Very early He on. did have an early on. Yeah, they got away with that. And then and then Kramaric scored for Croatia sort of against the run of play. Mm. And and suddenly that sinking feeling was, ah, just when we were getting a bit of momentum, yeah. just when we were enjoying ourselves, suddenly this. And not to Croatia again after what happened in, in the semi-final. And it looked like... That, I'm back uh, at Wembley in 2007. It, exactly, well. yeah. yeah. It looked like it'd gone. But then the equaliser from Lingard comes from a long throw in, as Martin Tyler said on the commentary. Miles out, wasn't it? Screamer is gone. Oh, my goodness, yeah. <laughs> the long throw did the trick. Back to basics. Yeah. And then the winner came from a free kick out wide, whipped across the face, poked in by Kane. Yeah. And when Kane scored, you saw the scenes of celebration. You saw what it meant to England and, and the fans. The feel-good factor came rushing back. England showed character and determination to win that match. Mm-hmm. And it show, they were showing signs that the World Cup in Russia wasn't just a bit flash in the pan. No, absolutely right. And it was a genuinely good game as well. And it was a genuinely good game, a competitive game with something riding on it that England came out on top of. We shouldn't underestimate that. 
And one thing I'd really love to stress, though, to everyone listening, which I think is something that perhaps if you're listening to this show, you'll be excited about England anyway this summer, um, but something that perhaps makes you a little bit more excited, and it certainly makes me excited, and I don't even need to tell you what Speller will be like. So <laughs> what it was, the reason the atmosphere was so good, it wasn't just for the reasons you're saying, that England mm. had a chance to top this group, a competitive group, and go mm. through this little tournament. It was that. But what it also was, was if you think about it, Marcus, mm. it was the first time that England had played at the new Wembley in a competitive way that wasn't a qualifier, mm. which generally speaking are yep. just foregone conclusions anyway, right? Yep. You might occasionally, every so often, like we did in 2007, get a game that you have to win at the mm. end and the anticipation's high and it's the final game you of the group. You want to get to 2014 against Poland or something. Yeah, yeah. but it's a qualifier, mm. right? It's not the same. No. This was the first time we've seen England play at the new Wembley in this way and the, the, the atmosphere was incredible mm. and guess what's happening this summer? Yeah. England are playing at Wembley mm-hmm. More than aren't they aren't they due to playing Wembley for every game? All three group games. There yeah. we go. So that's a taste of what could come. Mm. And it actually, I actually watched this back um, late late this last week, and I am convinced the crowd actually helped England mm. that time. And that is a massive difference. Yeah. How many times have we seen England fans get on the back of mm. England because they're frustrated? They think they're shit. They play terrible football. It's awful. Mm. We've even seen England captains swearing down the camera about England fans. <laughs> this was an occasion, admittedly, buoyed from the World Cup that had happened a few yeah. months before. We've got to build on something. But the fans were loving it. Yeah. And this could be, if we see this repeated again, and um, he makes the right decisions and the players that form at the right mm-hmm. time, it's a flavour of what could come. It's what Southgate said. I think the most pleasing thing of the year has been the connection with the fans. Mm. Just to, 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 to go over that quote again. Absolutely right. But of course, they are playing Croatia in the first game at the Euros this summer. They absolutely are playing Croatia in the first game and this is probably a pretty good time, Marcus, I can tell by the way you're pointing at me, <laughs> that um, I introduced the fact that earlier today I um, spoke to Croatian football writer Alexander Holliger um, about this 2021 Croatia side and how they're shaping up ahead of that opening game, Marcus, um, at the Euros against England, um, as well as uh, the form of some of their key players and whether there's a fear factor lining up against England first time round. Alex, thanks very much for, for joining me today. Um, I think I'll start off by saying that England fans will remember the 2018 World Cup semi-final pretty well, but they'll also remember the game in November of that year when England emerged 2-1 winners in the Nations League. I mean, England's team's changed quite a bit since then. Would you say that Croatia's has? Whew. Croatia ha- had uh, various problems uh, during the qualifiers and during the Nations League. Uh, so um, only on a very few occasions uh, did the team uh, look complete. Uh, the team has changed. Uh, some younger players uh, have developed and, and some others who were not perhaps in the first plan are now more important. So it has changed, but we still don't know how exactly will it look at the, at the tournament. Mm. And, and so you talked about some younger players coming through. Who, would, who are the big players that Croatia fans will be looking to um, and being excited about? Is it still Modric, Brozovic, Kovacic, Perisic? I know Rakitic is retired. Or, or is it, yeah. are, they gonna, are fans going to be looking elsewhere for, for players to really perform for Croatia this summer? Well, uh, Croatia is still very much dependent on Modric. He still, you know, reigns supreme in midfield. Yeah. But uh, uh, hero, the qualifiers was Nikola Vlasic, the Everton uh, flop, you know, yeah. who is now at CSK Moscow. Uh, 
Uh, he has been really good in, in practically every game he has played for Croatia. So he's the emerging star right now. Mm. How important is Bruno Petkovic? Because I know he was top scorer in the qualifying, but um, he hasn't featured as much more recently. Well, he's at his best. He's a, he's a wonderful player. He's a player that any team in the world uh, would love to have. Uh, the trouble is uh, you, you never know uh, uh, what side he's going to show. He's uh, uh, often uh, uh, lacked fitness, either match fitness right now or psychologically wasn't right in the head. So uh, it's difficult if, he's, um, if he really performs the way he can when he's at his best. He will be. He could even be a massive surprise for everybody at the tournament. Uh, and the other thing is, uh, Croatia doesn't don't really have that that many other options up front. You know, uh, we have Andrei Kramaric from Hoffenheim, but he doesn't really play striker in uh, in his club. He's more of a, like a second striker or number ten now. And uh, all the other options are either not really uh, uh, centre forwards or are not any better than Petkovic. Mm. And, and I know that um, some, some close watchers of, of Spanish football have said that Luka Modric has had a, a pretty remarkable season for Real Madrid. Is, it, is, it, is there still a feeling in the Croatia setup that he's able to affect the game as much as he was able to three years ago? He's kind of a different, uh, a bit different player than when he plays for Croatia than he's at Real Madrid. Uh, uh, more uh, depends on him in Croatia. Uh, he dictates uh, tempo at every game. You know, he's uh, this, he's also the captain, and that's just one of the the, the examples how his importance is, you know, uh, still undiminished in Croatia. If Croatia are going to have a good tournament, then uh, Modric will have to be at at his level. Mm. And and you said that um, in recent games they've looked a little bit confused, and and I've seen them play a variety of different formations. I mean, how, how do you yeah. expect them to line up in that first match against England? Will it be that four-two-three-one we saw them use in their most recent game, or or will it more likely be the formation they played against Portugal with the three kind of sitting midfielders? Yeah, like I like I said, we still don't know. Four two three one used to be the default formation. Yeah. Then they started playing something closer to four three three. Then they played four four two with a diamond in midfield, uh, and even played that without a proper striker with like two wingers up front. So uh, I think it will depend uh, on the fitness of a few players. If Bruno Petkovic is fit to play, and if if he's on his level, then I think uh, they would uh, most likely play four-two-three-one, with uh, Nikola Vlasic behind him and uh, Modric, one of the two, Modric and Brozovic, uh, the the two in midfield. Do you feel like, as someone who 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 knows a lot about Croatian football and watches Croatia closely, do they remain a force to be reckoned with this summer? Do you think is can can they go as far as they went? in the World Cup? Um, I mean, betting companies here currently have them about 10th favourites. Is that is that about right, or are they a bit underrated? Well, I think uh, their performance at the World Cup was, on, on the one hand, it was a massive surprise for everybody. But on the other hand, when you see their opponents in the knockout stages, it, it, I wouldn't think any of those teams uh, were better than Croatia at that moment. So it, it shouldn't be such a surprise after all. Now, um, I think they are 
a little bit, uh, maybe maybe not so not so good as they were uh, at the World Cup, but they still can be if the new guys like Bruno Petkovic, like Vlasic, if they really perform, they could be on a similar level. Yes, I, I do believe so. Right, OK, so it's a really tough first game for Croatia, but also for England as well. Yeah, and you know, uh, even that, even at that point uh, at the World Cup, they were um, kind of uh, things could really have gone the other way for them. They were really unstable, and uh, coming up to to the tournament didn't really look very convincing. So uh, I think uh, maybe a few details could decide. Maybe the uh, atmosphere in the locker room, if it isn't just right. Uh, it could uh, bear huge influence on, on Croatia's performance. So, and all, of course, if they do well in the first game, then uh, that will be a massive boost for them. Mm. The first game is always so important, isn't it? Do, do, do you think? Yeah, that's what they say. Yeah. Do you, do you think that Zlatko Dalic is is he still popular? Is he still dining out on the success of World Cup 2018, or is he is he has he been able to to guide the team through, or has it been a bit of a case of he's dining out on old successes? Uh, well, he's not uh, that popular. He's not as popular as he was after the World Cup, obviously. And uh, Croatia has had a really tough time after that, playing with all the big teams in, in, in the Nations League. They um, Dalic's stats is now, uh, I think, uh, the worst that any Croatia manager has had in many years. Right. So, uh, you know, obviously there are some, uh, some circumstances that you, which you can't really interpret it in, in that way. But the matter of fact is they have lost many games and they uh, looked uh, really poor in, in, in some of those games. So uh, that obviously has affected his status and his popularity. Right. Okay, and, and so you think that if he gets it right in the first game against England, they can perhaps build on that confidence and, and maybe go and achieve something in the summer? It could be more down to the players themselves than, uh, mm. than the, the, the manager. I think uh, if they really, you know, uh, get together and uh, go all in for one last hurrah, mm. <laughs> then it could work. But I also have to say, I, I think uh, that England is a, is a really, really good team right now. And I, I think that they will be uh, considerably better than they were at the World Cup. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, actually, because obviously this is a show about England. And, and I'd be fascinated to know from your position what you and what Croatian fans think of England's chances and, and what they think about England as a team at the moment. Yeah, uh, well, England always does really well in the qualifiers, almost mm. always. We mm. remember some instances. 2008, <laughs> yeah, we won't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they usually look really convincing. Then uh, uh, when it really matters, they, they somehow, uh, you know, uh, uh, remain short of, of, of the success that they, they, they may be uh, uh, capable of. Uh, I think um, now uh, some of the younger players have really gone through, and, and, uh, and uh, I, I kind of like uh, the, 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 the mixture in the team that Gareth Southgate has in his team. I think it's a good mixture, and uh, if the team spirit is right, if some of the decisions that he makes uh, in, in certain games uh, are really good, I think England could even go all the way. 
I mean, it will be, I'll tell you this, it will be uh, my favourite team at the tournament after Croatia. Oh, good man. You can come back. Thank you very much, Alex. And so finally, then, one final question for you. Should England be more fearful of Croatia or should Croatia be more scared of England? I don't think Croatia are scared of England. Uh, maybe maybe England should be more afraid because uh, you know <laughs> they lost the semi final three years ago. But England, in my opinion, are the better team here. So if, if they if they play on their level, they they, they should be able to get at least a draw. <laughs> yeah. Great stuff. Thank you, Alex. Thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Shirts in the wall. It's Kieran Trippier. It's in! Kieran Trippier's first goal for England is in a World Cup semi final inside five minutes. Well, there we are, Luke. Hmm. He's saying that, uh, that interesting stuff from, from. Good to get an insight from the Alex other side of the fence, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, he's a great journalist as well and yeah. a lovely chap to boot. Um, so he thinks that. Uh, that England should be a bit of, a bit, bit scared of Croatia. I've got the impression that there should be a fear factor on both sides, more of a mutual respect. Yes. And I think Alex has un, undone himself there by just being too polite. <laughs> very polite all the way through. But I, but I do think that um, it was certainly intimated, if not exclu- explicitly stated by Alex, that Croatia still have players that can hurt England. Mm. And as I mentioned in the interview, you know, a lot of people in Spain, for example, are saying that Modric has had a brilliant season. Mm. And, you know, at his best, even at the age of 35, he can still do things. Yeah. He won't be intimidated by Planet Wembley, will Certainly he? Certainly not. So no. we have to be, be be in mind of it. And, and I think it's great to get the other side of the fence's opinion. As I say, I mean, how they're viewing it is very interesting. So I hope um, the listeners found that interesting too. We're already talking about the fixtures at the tournament. Yeah, I know. It's not long to go now, mate. Not long to go. Not long to go at all. Well, thank you very much for listening to Lions Watch. We'll be back next week with more news and discussion. And we'll also look back at what happened in those Nation League finals in Portugal. No spoilers. No spoilers at all. (laughs) But I think you might be able to tell. (laughs) We got a medal. We did. We got a medal. See you next week. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network.